0: Today, we're starting a new four-week series called The Way, and the question is, are you lost? Do you know where you're going? Jesus has mapped out a way for us, and the path requires trust, humility, serving, and even suffering. When we walk in this way, we discover the full life that Jesus always intended for us. Yes, we walk with Jesus, and we gain perspective for this life. So this morning, I want to preach a message on the way of the sparrow. The scripture this morning comes from Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. I'm going to invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. The scripture is going to be on the screen behind me. It's also going to be on your screens at home. And we're going to read these verses together. If you're new to WPA, we have this tradition of reading God's word aloud because we want it to get into our hearts, into our minds, so that we can reflect upon it so Matthew chapter 6 verses 25 to 34 let's read together in one voice therefore I tell you do not worry about your life what you will eat or drink or about your body what you will wear is not life more than food and the body more than clothes look at the birds of the air they do not And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Matthew chapter six. We thank you for your teaching to us about what's important in life. Lord, there's many people here today and here online who are carrying worry. They are worry words. They worry about everything. Some of them rational worries and some of them irrational worries. But yet, Lord, this scripture is meaningful for us. In fact, it can really radically change our lives today if we'd receive it and apply the principles. Father, you want us to live in the freedom that you have for us. You don't want us to live wondering about what we'll wear, what we'll eat, or you know, where things are coming from because you are the great provider you give us all that we need and so much more we have so much to be thankful for so this morning as we begin this series as we navigate in this new season of life lord i pray that you teach us lord like the birds of the air and like the flowers of the field that we have a god who cares and you truly will satisfy all our desires you will meet all our needs and so father we have our confidence in you today Father, I pray that you'd enable me by your Holy Spirit to preach the word to your people. I pray that it, it would be effective, that it would reach their hearts and their minds, that it would percolate in, in, within them. And Lord, it, the application would stir them to obedience and to changing things in their lives today. I need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to preach with clarity and with fullness today. So Lord, I ask today that you'd add your blessing to the preach word. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, amen. You may be seated. How many people consider themselves worriers? It's okay, you don't have to raise your hand. We've done a lot of hand raising today. Just think about it for a second. Is this you? See, worry has many different names these days. It goes by the name of stress. It goes by the name of anxiety. It goes by the name of insomnia. It goes by the name of burnout and unhappiness and many other things. What kind of things do you worry about? Do you worry about your future? Do you worry about your spouse or your children? Do you worry about your finances? Do you worry about your health? There's no shortage of things to worry about in this world, is there? I want to preface what I'm about to say today with just a few statements, and I hope that you'd receive them today. The first is this. I want you to know that worry is self-centered instead of God-centered. Fact. Worry is a self-centered action or statement or reaction instead of being God-centered. Worry is a form of self-sabotage. It is as if everything depends on you when it doesn't. It diminishes the presence and the power of God. It drastically affects your relationship with God because you go to God last instead of first. I want you to know, secondly, that worry does not have any benefits. Fact. It amounts to zero Nothing, none, zilch, nada, nothing. It was Jesus who said in Matthew 6, 27, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? No. It's absolutely useless because it does not stop, it does not slow down the passage of time. Many of the things that you and I worry about will never even come to pass. We're just wasting our mental and our emotional energies The worries of the past that haunt us may not be able to be changed. Unfortunately, we can't time travel. We can't go back in time to redo some of the things in our lives. But worrying about those things don't help. Worrying about your health can make you even more unhealthy. And the stress of worry can manifest itself in so many unique ways in your body. It can lead to sudden panic attacks. It can lead to sudden anxiety attacks. I've felt that before. It's not fun. It can even be debilitating with mental fatigue or it can lead to irrational thoughts. So this morning, I want to remind you of three principles that Jesus communicated to his hearers on the hillside of Capernaum concerning concerning worry in Matthew chapter six, verses 25 to 34. First point this morning is know your value. Know your value. We find this in verses 26 to 27. The scripture says, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Human nature follows two simple principles. The first principle is a principle of work, of sowing and reaping. It's a wonderful principle. You cannot reap what you have not sown. But while this is a positive connotation, there is also a negative connotation to this concept. The negative suggests that we must work in order to provide for ourselves. It can easily eliminate God from the picture. The second principle is also good likewise, but it also has a negative connotation as well. The second principle is one of saving. But when it's negative, it's self-protecting. When it's negative, it's a fear that comes upon us, a fear of scarcity. You see, what you store away in barns, and I don't think many of you have barns these days, what you store away in your bank account or in your home or wherever you store things, you can pull out in a time of famine. But this concept does not factor in the idea that commodities often rot, often spoil, often rust over time. Nothing consumable lasts forever. Well, God's creation is full of lessons, and the birds of the air specifically teach us about God's value system. He provides for birds that don't work nine-to-five jobs and have savings in their bank account. Isn't that nice? They are completely dependent on the provision of God for today, for right now. And it is not that these principles are flawed because there is wisdom in saving. There is wisdom in gaining a harvest through sowing and reaping. But the question has so much to do with not where, but in whom we place our ultimate trust. If it's in yourself, my friends, prepare to be disappointed. But if it's in God, prepare to be surprised. And here's the thing I love about it. God wants to surprise you. God wants to surprise you with amazing ways that he can meet your needs, but you have to give him the opportunity to. See, many of us have been searching for someone or something to tell us that we're valuable. We want that affirmation in our lives. And you know what? God offers it to you. You don't have to look any further. You need to know that your true value comes from God, your maker, your creator, your sustainer. So in comparison to the birds of the air, we are much more valuable to God. For unlike birds, we have a soul. Unlike birds, we have the image of God impressed upon us. Well, Matthew, the gospel writer, generalizes about birds. Luke, the other gospel writer, particularizes about the type of bird. In Luke 12, 24, he says, consider the ravens. He gets specific here. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. We remember that Noah, he sent out a raven, but it never returned to him. We also remember that God sent ravens to bring bread and meat to feed Elijah while he was running away in the desert. It is also important to understand that the raven is an unclean animal because it's a scavenger bird. It just goes and finds the leftovers and picks at it and survives. But nevertheless, God cares for the clean birds and the unclean birds alike. Think about Job. Job, he posed a rhetorical question about ravens. In Job 38:41. he said, Who provides food for the raven when its young cry out to God and wander about for lack of food? The psalmist provides the answer to this question in Psalm 147, verse nine. He says, he provides food for the cattle and for the young ravens when they call. God cares about the ravens. I also want to cross-reference one more scripture taken from Luke 12, verses six to seven. Talks about sparrows. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet one of them is is, is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. See, the sparrow was the cheapest bird one could ever buy in the marketplace. They were considered poor people's food with just enough protein to sustain them for just another day of life. The New Testament, New Testament commentator, Craig Keener, he shares a, a fascinating cultural background insight when he tells us, according to Matthew ten twenty nine, one could purchase two sparrows for a Nasserian, which is a small copper coin of very little value. But here it appears that they are even cheaper if purchased in large quantities. So statistically speaking, if two sparrows are sold for one penny or five sparrows are sold for two pennies, then the argument is how much more valuable? How much more valuable is one human being? How much more valuable are all human beings to God? This is what we call in Latin an argumentum a fortiori. It is a comparison of propositions from lesser to greater, from birds to humans, from pennies to priceless. And if God knows the number of heracles on this head and on your head, a number that you and I don't really know, then you and I need to understand that God knows what you need because he knows the hairs on your head. Let me remind you, friends, today somebody needs to hear this today. You might be questioning how valuable you are, but you are so valuable to God. So, so, so valuable. You are precious in his sight. He loves you so much. In fact, remember that the ransom cost for your life was God's own son's life. So to the question how much more, the answer is so much more. Secondly, this morning, Second point is have more faith. Have more faith. Verse 28 to 32. Scripture says, and why do you worry about clothes? I like to tell my teenagers that. See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, King Solomon, in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Here's Jesus addressing a shortage of faith in his hearers. He had addressed food with the birds, and here he addressed the clothes with the flowers. And the petals are considered the very clothing that adorned grass, making it a flower. Jesus is preaching his sermon on the mount, on the sermon on the mount, on the hills of Capernaum. You can just see the, imagine the Sea of Galilee and these beautiful green hillsides where he's teaching people. What does Jesus do? He looks around. He looks around at what is around the people who are gathered around him to give examples to which he, his audience can then relate. And some translations of the Bible translate grass of the field as the lilies of the field. It's very likely that Jesus is looking at the wildflowers. they will see a picture on the screen. This is a crown, and then, and, oh, this is a tongue twister for me, anemone, It is the lily of the field. It is also known as a cyclamen, also known as a kalanit. And in 2007, it was selected as Israel's national flower. It blooms in red and in purple and in white. They pose more like poppies, but they're considered lilies. They exist to beautify the hill country. And if God clothes flowers, how much more will he clothe you? See, Jesus used the richest man, the wisest man that ever lived on earth as a point of comparison. From God's point of view, the flowers of the field were even dressed better than King Solomon himself in all his glory. And when God designs something, it is automatically superior in beauty when compared to anything that we might make, design, or fashion. It's just that good greater than any of the robes that were ever brought as gifts to Solomon from the kings of the earth who sought his wisdom. Furthermore, Jesus talked about the temporality of the flower. It is adorned the way, this way even though despite the fact that it's here today and it's gone tomorrow. See, when flowers died out and dried out in the hot summer sun of Israel, they were collected as fuel for household fires. In other words, flowers dance in the wind today, but they're burned in the fire tomorrow. Such is the short life of a flower. And if this is how God clothes the flowers of the field that are so temporary, how much more will God clothe us who have been given the promise of eternal life? So much more. To all of those who were listening to Jesus that day, Jesus said, you of little faith, See, the question causes us to question our faith. Do you believe that God will take care of all your basic needs? I do, do you? I hope so. Jesus made an observation about worldly people, the pagans, and the questions that they asked themselves, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear? That is not meant to be the questions that we ask ourselves. See, while unbelievers run around in search of, Provisions for themselves. We have a God who loves us so much that he comes to the believer to bring his provision in their life. So even if you were naked, God cares so much about you that he would send somebody to clothe you. Now, it may not be your style. It might not be brand name clothing. But he would cover your shame. This is the God we serve. Thirdly, today... I want to encourage you to seek the kingdom. Seek the kingdom. We find this in verse 34, 33 to 34. The scripture says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. No truer words. When Jesus instructed his hearers to seek first, what he meant was that we are not to seek out the food, that we're not to seek out the clothing, we're to seek out God. The mission of life is this, seeking out God, not things. We seek the God from whom all blessings flow. Not the provision, but the provider. Not the product, but the person. We serve a king who has a wonderful kingdom. You and I, if we're believers in Jesus Christ, we belong. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. It is not of this world. So we need God to send forth his resources to us. Everything we could ever need or want belongs to him, and it's at his disposal. We serve a king who does what is right. Righteousness is how we describe his character. He's a good God, as we sung today. And it is his sincere desire to feed and to clothe those who earnestly seek him. See, the problem is this. The problem is one of prioritization. What are the priorities of your life today? See, are you seeking God first, or are you seeking God second, or third, or some other number, or last? See, to seek God anything but first is to miss out on all the provision he has for your life. It is the difference between having everything and having nothing. But now let me warn you that we don't seek him simply for his benefits. We seek him because of who he is. He's our savior. He's our redeemer. He's our father. He's a great God. Seeking the kingdom allows us to live really well in the, in the present. Living in the present then cultivates a heart of gratitude. Listen to the way the New King James Version interprets Psalm 118, 24. You've heard the scripture before, but it helps us live in the present. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and we will be glad in it. He made it. Living in the present. Don't have to worry about tomorrow just need to worry about today. See, our minds are overwhelmed by the uncertainties of today, let alone the uncertainties of tomorrow. We're living in the midst of a pandemic. We're living in the midst of lots of change. Who knows what tomorrow holds? We can burden ourselves by creating narratives that do not exist. We can overanalyze something to the nth degree. But friends, you need to know that tomorrow is not guaranteed. But if the Lord wills, we will deal with tomorrow tomorrow instead of stressing over tomorrow today. We can do this without worry because the same God who holds our today will also be the same God who holds our tomorrow. He's got the whole world in his hands. So when you seek God first, friends, everything follows after. As the worship team comes, I wanna conclude this morning with a little illustration. I want you to imagine this scenario with me, okay? Everybody ready to imagine? Here we go. So you're trying to sleep. It's well after bedtime. But you're tossing and you're turning, you're unable to get comfy. Kinda sounds like me last night. You notice you're replaying the same scenario in your head. Some vision of tomorrow, of what might happen, how a hope could be dashed. If you've experienced this, you're far from alone. Researcher Lucas Lafreniere, PhD, said, This is what breaks my heart about worry. It makes you miserable in the present moment to try and prevent misery in the future. For chronic worriers, this process leads them to be continually distressed all their lives in order to avoid later events that never happen. Worry sucks the joy out of the here and the now. And in this study on worry, participants were asked to record their worries and how they, how they caused distress and interfered with their lives. Each night at 10 p.m., they reported how much time they spent thinking on each specific worry throughout the day. Then 20 days after that period, they reviewed each entry and reported whether any of the worries had become true. The good news is Lafreniere's study found that in his survey of worrisome people, 91.4% of their worries never actually happened. Isn't that crazy? Worrying caused only more misery and did nothing to help the worriers handle whatever they had been worrying about. This is mainly because the hotly anticipated events never even transpired. Friends, guess what? Jesus can handle the 8.6% of your rational worry. Believers, guess what today? Jesus can also handle the 91.4% of your irrational worry. Here's the truth. Jesus can handle all 100% of your worry, and it's not even a burden to him. Apostle Peter, he encourages us in 1 Peter 5.7. To cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. That's the truth. He cares for you. Now don't be fooled to think that once will be enough forever. Every time you have an anxious thought, you will need to cast it upon him. And this can happen once a day. This can happen a hundred times a day. But the key is that you cast it upon him. That's the practical application for chronic cases you may need the medical support of a physician or the therapeutic support of a counselor in order to cope but I don't want to spiritual support that is available to you today from God above God is not just one of the three options he is the option and then medical and therapeutic support must be subservient to the spiritual support that he alone provides For whatever worry you cast upon him, here's his promise. His promise is to grant you rest. How many people need rest today? I sure do. Sparrow. And if he clothes the flower, if you can take anything this morning, take this. How much more? How much more, friends? How much more does he care for you? cares for you. Let's ponder that for a moment. The God who created the world, the God who sent his son to die, he cares about you. He knows your name. He knows the hairs on your head. He cares for you. Let's pray.